0: back into Surviving Paradise, the podcast that unpacks the glorious world of Jehovah's Witnesses from the perspective of a former elder, former ministerial servant, and a kid from the 70s and 80s that was raised among Jehovah's Witnesses. My name is Stacy Bauman. I am the host. And if you're just now discovering this podcast, just know that it's very organic. It's very raw. It's not overproduced. It's just us spitting facts, sharing experiences, and my own personal observations of my time as a Jehovah's Witness. And I happen to think that my generation has had a very unique experience. And yes, I did just use the word generation. And we're not going to talk about overlapping, not in this, not in this particular podcast episode, but I do. I do happen to think that my generation has a unique experience among Jehovah's Witnesses. That we're a little different. We're a little uh, have a little different perspective. We kind of came in at a time of massive, massive growth among the organization. I use that term loosely. Uh, I think a lot of the people from my age group that grew up as kids in the seventies and eighties were. Part of that big influx from our parents that came out of the 60s and the 70s with the when the truth book was the big study, this big study book. And then, of course, moved into a live forever book. All these books are gone now. They're gone. They've mothballed all of them for one reason or another, mostly because, of course, They're filled with absolute bullshit. (laughs) So we're going to take a look at a subject this week that I got to tell you, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this subject justice. That's the truth of the matter. I really, really don't. And I've got a pretty good feeling or sneaking suspicion that it's going to take several podcast episodes and several of my great dear friends and guests to come on and talk about this subject In greater depth because my experience is my experience with it. And as you will note from the subject, mine is limited. I want to talk this week about how Jehovah's Witnesses, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, treat women. And the subject of women is a loaded one, in my opinion, when it comes to Jehovah's Witnesses. Because I don't think outside of the horrific stuff that's been uncovered is in terms of child abuse of the last couple of decades among Jehovah's people, I don't think there's a demographic, God, it's so secular, of people that are more mistreated, more disrespected, more minimized than females, women in Jehovah's Witnesses. And it's And it's something that goes back to the very, very beginning of this quote-unquote religion. And in all fairness to this episode, I'll state that I was raised by a single mother. I think that that gives me a little bit of a different perspective, Have have a baby sister. I tend to gravitate towards the nurturing and warmth of women, I think because of the way I was raised. Is that the best way to explain that? I don't know. But I... I think that it really, because I grew up under that roof, that umbrella, if you will, it made me a good elder. I was more compassionate and empathetic, and I was more approachable. And that's not me bragging. It's just the facts, because anybody who's been an elder knows there's plenty of guys who could give a shit about people among Jehovah's Witnesses. And I think that it gave me a little different perspective. And it helped me to operate in a different way. But let's talk about women, because from the beginning of this organization, the sisters, and if you're new to Jehovah's Witnesses, all women are called sisters in Jehovah's Witnesses. That's a whole subject matter unto itself. Brothers and sisters, uh, women have been really minimized, disrespected, and put in just being blunt, deadly, deadly situations. In this organization, this cult, this religion. And it's something that goes as I stated right back to the beginning. Now I want to cover this from two different perspectives. For those that might still be believers, uh, Christians if you will and are just curious about Jehovah's Witnesses or they've left Jehovah's Witnesses and they're still consider themselves a believer in whether it's Jehovah, Yahweh or Jesus himself you're going to see that it's kind of threaded through here. And the reason being that what Jehovah's Witnesses do and the way they treat women does not match, in the least, the New Testament, or the way Jesus treated women in his time, in his story among the, in the Gospels. Now, we won't get into the Old Testament because, let's face it, women were treated like slaves, trash, murdered, killed, raped, minimized, in the Old Testament as well. And don't come at me with that. You can grab any Bible and read the Old Testament and see women being grossly mistreated. And it was still going on, depending where you put the Bible in reality standards, I'm going to at least show respect to it. It was still going on in the times of Jesus historically, according to the Bible, as a book, as a piece of literature. So two different angles here. And you're going to see that much of what I have to say in reference to what Jesus and the Bible teaches about women doesn't even remotely match the crap that women put up with among Jehovah's Witnesses. So, to begin, Proverbs 31, 30 through 31, King James Version says, Favors deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord shall be praised. So, Early on in the Bible, for any reader of the Bible, it isn't difficult to see how God has viewed women throughout history. You don't have to travel too far into the book, into the book of Genesis, to find that women have a major impact on spirituality and society in general. And again, I have to come at this subject in two different ways from my perspective. Those that might still be believers and those that may not be, but still love deeply appreciate and recognize the power of females, of women. So I'm going to try to balance that. And that's why I say I don't think one episode covers this subject matter well. And I guess that's about the best way I can explain my viewpoint on that. But again, from the very beginning, if you're a Bible reader and still someone who looks at spiritual things from a Christian perspective, God made very clear that women were vital for life. To be candid, not one of us listening to this podcast episode or breathing exists without the power of women. Even if you're an evolutionist, it would be impossible to argue that we're all born of a woman and literally place our lives in her hands from conception, oftentimes right up until we pass away, we die. So if you're looking at the Bible, at Genesis two. Verse 24, God himself states, that is why a man will leave his father and his mother and he will stick to his wife and they will become one flesh. It's very easy to see the power of women and females and what an important role they play in life. I happen to think, I'm just going to be candid, that women are tougher, stronger uh, than men could ever be. In my opinion, and it's my podcast so I get to say this, uh, if it was up to men in our current form to create babies and carry them nine months, the human race would be long gone. (laughs) We don't even do well with a stomach ache (laughs) or on two hours of sleep. We don't do well. It's incredible watching the women I have in my life that I love, my mother, my grandmothers. It's incredible the power women have. And it's always just amazed me. So even looking at the Bible in one verse, God encapsulated a man's entire life. You go from mother and you go to wife. As men, it's been stated scientifically throughout, particularly the last 20, 30 years, that men tend to die younger or live much more uh, dangerous and decrepit lives without the power of a female in their life. So again, looking back at the Bible, it's filled with examples of brave, strong, compassionate, powerful women. A person can literally read the Bible and they take their pick of those women who risked their lives, risked their reputations, risked everything to save others, including children. In fact, in the case of Esther, if you're a Bible reader, risked her life for an entire nation. And, and one would be remiss to state the most important example of women in the Bible, which is Jesus' mother Mary, uh, Jesus' mother Mary, excuse me, getting into rock music there, uh, <laughs> who mothered and was entrusted, again, depending on what your beliefs are, showing respect for that, with carrying the Son of God, or as many people believe, God Himself in her womb for nine months. Apparently, women are pretty powerful and to be trusted and to be respected and to be looked to for carrying God and God's son himself. So it's no small thing that God, again, according to the Bible, saw fit to include so many women in his inspired book. Sure, as is the case with so many men, there are mentions of mistakes, some of them often deadly, we know some women in the Bible that get a really bad rap uh, whether you believe they are real people or not Eve was one Miriam uh, Dinah God forbid Dinah she wanted to hang out with her friends so she's now the example Jehovah's Witnesses hold up as bad association uh, there's Delilah too was uh, was she the first uh, she the first uh, haircut lady on, uh, what, what do they call those? The the salon ladies She's the first one on record cutting Samson's hair We've got Job's wife who was bitching and moaning at him uh, when times were tough. We've got uh, Bathsheba who apparently just succumbed to King David and gave him whatever he wanted. I mean, look, we can find bad examples. But if again, if you're looking strictly at the Bible, which is what Jehovah's Witnesses claim they do, there are far more examples of incredible women now, women that we are supposed to emulate, that we hold in high regard. Again, you could start with Mary if you want. But think about Rahab. She's another one. I was As a kid, I used to love that story. She hung the cord out the window and risked her life and the life of her family to hide the spies that Joshua sent into her home. Uh, how do you begin to talk about Abigail? Uh, I was a big King David guy. I studied him a lot when I was a witness elder uh, for a lot of reasons. We'll get into it at some point. But What about Abigail, who comes out to meet King David? He's on the way to kill her husband. Uh, Ruth, leads her her bravery led to her being in the line of Christ, according to the Bible. So she became a great, 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 great grandmother to Jesus himself. And of course, there's Sarah with Abraham, uh, who without complaint, I don't know many women that would want to do this today, but she lived in tents. Uh, when Abraham had, you know, he was a high roller, but apparently he decides to roll out into tents according because God speaks to him. Of course, God also tells him to kill his son, subject for another day. But Sarah just picks up and goes with her husband in totally full support. Again, the list goes on and on and on. If you're taking the Bible at face value, you can see that God's view, Yeah, particularly in the New Testament, there's some shaky stuff in the Old Testament but it's plainly stated in the Bible. He values, he loves, he trusts them as givers of life. And he extends, to, you know, that love to the entire human race, all by means of a female, of women and the power and strength that they possess. I, I One of the examples I've always loved since I was a kid. And when I was a witness was the example at, of the woman at the well with Jesus, the Good, not the Good Samaritan, excuse me, the Samaritan woman, and how Jesus was respectful to her. She was, oh, imagine this, folks. She was an apostate, and Jesus was talking to her. But even worse, the Jews were so rotten to women. Here was the Son of God talking to a woman and revealing that he was the Messiah. Again, the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, surrounding the Gospels, shows that God has a huge, huge place in his plan, in his heart, for women. They're powerful. Some of the most influential people in my life are women. And I absolutely go to them in crunch time, in crisis, to get their perspective. It's incredibly valuable. Very, very powerful people on this planet. So, let's contrast that with how beautiful women of all sizes, shapes, backgrounds, and whatnot are treated by Jehovah's Witnesses and by the Watchtower Society. Because I am here to tell you the list, and and it is an abomination, as you will see. There's going to be way too much sarcasm for me. The list of how they are mistreated and disrespected goes back to the beginning. Now, I'm not going to get too deep into the history of Charles Taze Russell, who was the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses. But let's just say he had adopted a baby girl. There was history, or at least rumor, of wild indiscretion with a child. I can't even say it because it makes me freaking sick. And his wife took him to court. And the history of how women were mistreated goes back to the first guy. It Goes back to the first guy. But let's... Let's focus in on the time after Charles Tace Russell, where it really started to pick up steam, how terrible women were treated by Jehovah's Witnesses. Of course, they hadn't quite got the name. They were the Bible students, subject for another day. But we go back deep into the history, and let's just look at Judge Joe Rutherford. I mean, this guy was craptastic. What the definition of a jerk and we're supposed to believe that Jesus looked on the whole earth and went, hey, that guy Joe Rutherford's a good guy. <laughs> He's going to be the guy I choose to lead my people, my conduit. Come on. Joseph Rutherford, the president of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, in his book, Creation, pages 79 through 80, had this to say. Quote, women have ever been the most beautiful and most beautiful dangerous amongst the creatures of earth. Yeah, don't piss one off. (laughs) Her beauty and attractiveness allure man and blind selfish man to higher and nobler things and induce him to forget God. It was such seductive influence exercised by the charming Eve that led Adam to a criminal's grave. (laughs) End quote. So old Joe really gets the fires burning among Jehovah's people and blames all of mankind's problems on a woman, on Eve, because, my God, women are beautiful. They're attractive. They're soft. They're nurturing. uh, They're incredible. But Joe sees that as a bad thing, almost from the beginning, and blames all of mankind's problems on Eve. It was Eve's fault. Adam was just stupid and a sucker. But Eve, with all that beauty and her, you know, danger, just sucked him into a criminal's grave. It's one of a million quotes on what the way the Watchtower Bible Tract Society and Jehovah's Witnesses subtly and not so subtly view women. The Watchtower Bible and Tract Society has a long history of a much different view from the Bible, in particular, Jesus of women. Now, without question, there are those that would argue against any negative view of women among Jehovah's Witnesses. They would say, oh, God, this apostate guy, what an idiot. We love women. We show it all the time. They'd argue it. And and I do want to say at this point a disclaimer. You can't paint all Jehovah's Witnesses with a broad brush. In effect, claiming that all those within the organization view women as some lower class subservient group in their religion. That would be just dishonest. There are those that openly acknowledge the beauty and power of women among Jehovah's Witnesses, particularly even within the organization, the way they serve. And I'll be honest, my time as a Jehovah's Witness and as an elder, I was in awe of some of the things the women did just your basic meeting at the kingdom hall, wrestling five kids while husband guy up there gave three talks or completely ignored raising the kids in favor of the organization. But that doesn't even begin to touch on the fact that women do the bulk of the preaching activity in this organization. They do the vast majority of preaching among Jehovah's Witnesses. It's the sisters or the women that have the widest influence on the congregation's warmth, the congregation's personality. If you've got angry, grumpy women, and who could blame them after the crap I'm about to share? You tend to have a congregation that way. You have fun, loving, empathetic, compassionate women. You tend to have a whole congregation that way. That's the influence of the women among Jehovah's Witnesses, which makes it all the more shocking how they're treated There is no question, however, that the Watchtower's comments, the publications, and even the leaders going up to the president, like good old Joe, have long taken a different tone on females. Most, well, I say some of the messages regarding women are subtle. There's no question that many of these messages have a demeaning tone. I don't, I'm not a woman, so this is my perspective. But I can tell you that I've heard this voiced in some of my closest friends who are female, women, ex-Jehovah's Witnesses. And at times, some of this stuff goes well beyond disrespect and falls squarely into danger, literally dangerous counsel and things said and done for and about women. I'll give you another example. I want to give some in modern times too, but early on at a convention in Missouri in 1941, good old Joe Rutherford quoted a Rudyard Kipling work, and he referred to women. Now imagine this, he's on stage. The audience is filled with amazing women who are, again, are doing most of the preaching for this guy, for this jackass. But he refers to women as a Hank, quote, a Hank of hair and a bag of bones, end quote. It, it went further. And as you can see, the organization took on Joe's personality. For several years, Rutherford's books openly discouraged marriage and childbearing. Don't have kids. The end is near. The world's going to blow up. Don't have babies. In in fact, in his book, Vindication, volume one, pages 155 through 159, he likened any equality among the sexes as being satanic. (laughs) I mean, misogyny doesn't cover this. Women have no right to be equal to men. In fact, if they are, it's satanic. He went further in Vindication, pages 155 through 159. It's in print if you're a JW listening. He went further by claiming the custom of men just tipping their hats to a woman or politely standing when a woman approached was a scheme designed by Satan the devil himself and a tool to turn men away from God. That they were effeminate and weak if they actually showed respect towards a female. <laughs> this is the irony with Joe is that despite all of this, he was a known philanderer. He had had, it's, it's documented that he had a couple of affairs with women. His own wife didn't even attend his funeral. He's buried somewhere out in New York. Uh, well, allegedly <laughs> we'll get into beth Serum at some point he may actually be under the the slab in the garage of a san diego mansion but that's a subject for another day now if you think that all of this of course is old light or new uh old habits that no one acts this way now let me assure you you are incorrect you're incorrect This history continues down to this day. Is it more subtle? Yes, we live in a different generation, but it is most definitely there. Let me give you an example from one of the current members of the governing body, or faithful and discreet slave, parable not prophecy, Mr. Samuel Hurd, brother Hurd, in his talk, The Value of Our Theocratic Sisters, which took place at a district convention in Oakland, California in 1971. Mr. Hurd, who, as we know it today, is on his way to heaven where he's going to sit and judge us. Again, no women are part of the governing body. Isn't that odd? Nothing sexist there. I'm sure women have nothing to offer or add in terms of judging all of mankind. Considering they're the greatest and most populous group on earth, and they alone know what it means to birth a child. Never mind that. Sam Hurd, Governing Body Member, had this to say, The Value of Our Theocratic Sisters, 1971. Quote, You know, scientists say that the cranial capacity of a woman is 10% smaller than that of a man. So now, this shows that she's just not equipped for the role of headship. Her role is one of subjection to the man. Her role is that of submissiveness, and that means that she should recognize that she is a woman and be glad to be a woman. Never want to be what you're not equipped to be. Sometimes we hear her say, oh, if, 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 I, I, that's a quote, people, he did that. We're a man, I do this and I do that, as if to be wishing to be something that she's not designed to be. Do you know what that borders on? That borders on homosexuality. And do you know what the devil is doing nowadays? He's taking women who want to be men and makes men out of them. End quote. If you're a JW listening to that, that's one of your guys. Samuel Heard. The value of our theocratic sisters. His talk, Oakland, California, 1971. For anyone to say that this attitude doesn't continue down to this day for women among Jehovah's Witnesses or sisters, look, you're either drowning in cognitive dissonance or you're in such a denial that I would strongly encourage therapy because it is alive and well. Women among Jehovah's Witnesses are not allowed to hold any position of responsibility in a congregation, and I mean none. They're not allowed to teach in the congregation. If they're even in the presence of a man and they're going to say a prayer or they're going to teach or just read out of the Bible, they have to go find something to put over their head. They show you nice pictures in the Watchtower literature of scarves, but I've seen sisters when I was an elder or entered a robe as an elder, who were teaching that took a Starbucks napkin and put it on their head, as if that was supposed to denote respect. And you're saying to yourself, why would they do that? Let me tell you why they do that. Following the Apostle Paul's counsel that she is to cover her head when in the presence of a man, people, that could be a 12-year-old boy in a car service group. I've seen women do it until I got there or another guy, where she had to read, or pray, or teach, women are held in such low regard that they are to take something out, no matter what it might be, a napkin, a piece of paper, a scarf, (laughs) and put it on their head in the presence of a man, so as to show respect. This is still true among Jehovah's Witnesses. They're not allowed to serve as elders, they're not allowed to serve as ministerial servants. They can't be a branch president. They can't show any position of leadership. So, Some, I know that there's people right now probably arguing who are still on the fence. They'd argue that women can be pioneers. Do you know what that means if you're new to this? And these our requirements have changed. So forgive me if I'm misquoting at this point. It's been a while. It means... They can volunteer up to 90 hours a month. That might be a past goal. It's an ever-changing hour requirement to get this title, Pioneer. And what that means is for 90 hours a month, they're going out in field service, knocking on strangers' doors, telling them this message. Come into an organization where this is all they let me do. You got to talk to the guys. Even if you want to get baptized, they got to go for questions for you. I can't even do that. In layman's terms, they can bring in converts and they can place literature. I won't even go into the ridiculous leverage they put on on sisters on women in building kingdom halls or cleaning toilets after the meeting or doing every laborious, low-ranking thing among Jehovah's Witnesses, but they cannot conduct a Bible study with a man or in a man's presence. They are simply used to do All of the yucky stuff. It's incredible. It's demeaning. It's disrespectful. And it's downright mind-boggling. Now, if you don't believe this, I encourage you to look up all the just hundreds of references to this within the pages of The Watchtower Awake and other publications of Jehovah's Witnesses. I'll give you an example the awake of 2010 July page 29 and this is a direct quote quote nowhere in the bible however are women told to stand before the congregation to teach rather the apostle paul instructed them to keep quiet in the meetings why One reason he wrote is so things that would be done so that things would be done in a proper and orderly way. For the congregation to run smoothly, God has assigned the role of teaching to one group. Misogyny. Women are told to keep quiet, keep their place, pipe down, let the guys do it because as we heard from Samuel Heard, the guy that's going to be judging all of us on listening to this podcast, women have smaller brains, so they're simply not capable. Misogyny. Out and out misogyny. Disgusting. Disturbing. But here's one of my favorite examples. If you want to see the degree that Jehovah's Witnesses will go to keep a woman quiet or in her place or to show respect, as they like to say it. In the 2016 edition of the songbook, Sing Out Joyfully, now some of us listening remember the old pink songbooks, and then, of course, there was the brown one, Sing Out Joyfully. The song, Guard Your Heart, was changed to, We Guard Our Hearts. Now, the reason for such a seemingly minor change will blow your mind. Are you ready for this? When a sister sang that song, Guard Your Heart, it could be taken that she is telling a brother what to do. (laughs) If you're a Jehovah's Witness listening to this, they changed the songbook for this reason. Watchtower, 2017, the November Study Edition, page 7. Quote, The change of the title Guard Your Heart to We Guard Our Hearts was most considerate. Why? In the audience at our meetings, assemblies, and conventions are many new ones, interested ones, young ones, and sisters, who by singing the words would be put in the awkward position of telling others what to do. So the title and lyrics were modified. End quote. I don't know if I have ever seen it. This ranks up there with some of the dumbest stuff. Some of the most disrespectful, insulting, unbelievable crap ever pumped out by these people. And they did it because for a woman to sing that in a kingdom hall... She might be giving the impression she's telling someone what to do. News flash to the governing body. If we didn't have brilliant, wonderful, powerful women women telling us what to do, we'd all be dead. <laughs> I owe everything to my mother, to the many beautiful women who have given me advice and been great friends, loyal friends throughout my lifetime. But for if you're a Jehovah's Witness and you're listening to this, or you're just an X one and you're entertained as I am in some sick way, <laughs> is this not one of the most shocking things they've ever done? They've changed. The, of course, we won't even get into the ever-changing songbooks. But they literally changed lyrics so that women weren't telling people what to do. What? What? I'm waiting to hear of a, of a mother or a woman being disfellowshipped for her telling her children to clean their room at this point. <laughs> And one of them is a son. The level of misogyny amongst Jehovah's Witnesses goes unchecked. It's sickening. And you heard me quote from the the highest ranking members of Jehovah's Witnesses, the governing body, the governing body, which does not include one woman. Despite the fact that, again, the anointed include zillions of women, according to their teaching, but they eliminated all them, you know, recently in 2012 and made it just the eight guys in upstate New York. Can you imagine the wives of these guys? Can you imagine that? Where do they rank? What Do, what do, they, do their dreams just die every morning? I, it's just absolutely shocking conduct. And folks, for those nice people that come to your door, which are almost always women, this is what they live under. This is what they live under. Imagine what this is doing to the minds of beautiful young girls as they grow up. It's disgusting. I'm trying not to get fired up, but the reality is I do. Let's move on to another reason that the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Watchtower mistreat women and we will go beyond the damaging effects to their self-esteem and them as people and move right into their physical dangers. The downright deadly crap that this organization spews out with women in mind putting them in dangerous situations. So misogyny is one thing, and in itself is horrific and terrible. But the Watchtower has at times crossed over from terrible to downright deadly, all made under this umbrella that they are God's organization and they demand strict obedience. As we have talked about with these governing body, we're to obey them even if we don't understand it. That's their command. It's in print. If you're a Jehovah's Witness, read your own literature, everything we talk about here comes from your own stuff. But nowhere has this been more deadly when it comes to, and and we're living in this world now, and I'm going to just, look, I'm going to say it quite openly. This is a really hard subject for me. Uh, I get emotional, I get angry, I get brokenhearted, but we live in a world now where women and children are treated terrible. In some cases, they're in danger. And Jehovah's Witnesses pitch it. They pitch it. Nowhere is this more apparent than in this matter of rape. At one time, Jehovah's Witnesses had to tackle the subject because, of course, somebody may have have suffered at the hands of this horrific crime or may have known someone that was or were dealing with it in their ministry. Whatever the case may be, they decided they're going to comment on it. Okay? The Awake magazine of 1989, August 22nd, page 24 states, and I quote, if a woman does not cry out when attacked, it indicates she is submitting to the man and is committing a sin against Jehovah. End quote. The Watchtower of 1964, January 15th, pages 63 through 64, quote, thus, if a Christian woman does not cry out and does not put forth every effort to flee, she would be viewed as consenting to the violation." End quote. You haven't lost me. I just can't ever get used to reading that. And for any of us, I don't care who you are, that is close with their mothers, their sisters, other beautiful women... Can you fathom that they pass off, that this is coming from a God of love, that this is coming from Jesus himself? And it's amazing because their view on rape and violent crimes against women has actually vacillated at times, depending on the decade and who was writing the articles. Stunning, stunning stuff. In recent times, the Watchtower has really felt the painful repercussions for all of their hard and fast rules that oftentimes have left women deeply damaged. The recent exposure in the last 20, 30 years of pedophilia within Jehovah's Witnesses that's run rampant for decades. I mean, those rumors go back to Charles Taze Russell, folks, with his adopted daughter. And, and, and these crimes have been mostly brought to the forefront by women who were harmed by men in positions of power among Jehovah's Witnesses. In 1989, the, the Watchtower and Governing Body of Jehovah's Witnesses, those, those eight guys, published a policy instructing elders to keep reports of child sex abuse secret from Kingdom Hall members. If they tell you otherwise, it's a lie. It's a lie. I taught Kingdom Ministry School i taught the policies in the late 90s and early 2000s i was given the assignment from at that time brooklyn new york to teach the other elders at kingdom ministry school what to do with these types of situations rape child abuse at the hands of men to females so i'm not going we're not discluding young boys and men from from crimes themselves but this focus is on women there's no question, boys have been harmed too. But in reality, much of those pleas have come from women. One time, just sweet little baby girls that organization elders completely ignored in favor of the Mosaic Law. Two witnesses, which, by the way, we threw, they threw out. They, again, it's the Christianity a la carte. They decide what and who they're going to follow in any given situation. But the Watchtower's treatment of women and their view of women has led them to give counsel on rape that could get a woman killed. She doesn't scream out, she they they stead in print, she's consenting, she likes it. As if any man who wrote that article knows what it's like to be the victim of something so horrific. I can't even say it again. I'm literally choking up right now. It makes me sick. And they go out and tell the world that this is coming from their God or Jesus himself because they're the spokesman. In a recent ruling, and it's famous by now, uh, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society has been on the hook for $28 million to a young woman named Candace Conti in Fremont, California. She tried on several occasions to alert congregation elders to the abuse she'd endured at the hands of a one-time ministerial servant. Male, female, here we go. He, he, this guy even had a history of committing sexual assaults in the past. They wouldn't even listen to her. They continued to ignore her pleas for help. She was 26 years old when she took it to the courts. For anyone to be ignorant enough to say that Jehovah's Witnesses aren't dangerous towards women and little girls is insane. It's sick. If there's anything you can do to wake your cognitive skills up, please let it be this. If you're just listening and you're curious, please go look at the Australian Commission. Watching elder after elder and again, governing body member Jeffrey Jackson take the stand and lie. Literally saying, no, we don't teach where God's one and only communication. (laughs) When it's in print by the billions of pages it's a disgrace. So we move from something as horrific as misogyny into something that's unspeakable with violence and deadly advice on how women should handle horrific things. All at the hands, look, I'm a man. And they have to go report this to men because that's their religion. And these men look at you and go, well, you need another witness. Or, oh, he's it was that elder over there that did that to you? Well, yeah, he's, he's one of my boys. Don't think for a second that hasn't happened. Because it has. I'm merely grazing the surface of an issue that should be explored by governments, by authorities at every turn. We've seen it on television, on the TV shows now, uh, the Leah Remedy special. We've seen it on, on so many different places. You can find it all over the internet but somehow they continue to get away with this treatment of women. And it starts at the beginning with how we view women just as a whole. Not we, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. How Jehovah's Witnesses view women as a whole. It's horrific. Let's move into something that really breaks my heart, as if I'm already broken hearted just talking about this stuff again. But I'm going to move into something that I literally watched for decades of my life. and includes my own mother. It includes my own mother. And that's this issue of what the organization very subtly and not so subtly does to women about their life, creating a family, love, and dating. It's destructive. And it's a subtle, coercive tactic that they get early on. Because after all, it's women that do the bulk of the preaching work Freeing them up to just preach, 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 place, 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 literature, and do Bible studies is what this is all about. You get them a family or you get them in love and they're distracted. They're distracted from what those guys in New York want them doing. And I watched it my whole life. I watched it my whole life. I know some of the people listening know amazing, wonderful sisters that never married, never dated. I know it. It's, it's such a heartbreaking subject for me. So aside from all the heinous rules and some of the disgusting things we just talked about here, women also face other very distinct advantages as one of Jehovah's Witnesses. Among those disadvantages is the very limited pool of brothers that are available for marriage. Now listen, they don't even allow a woman to be gay or a lesbian. That's not even allowed. So if you're that, that's a whole nother episode. The pain that a woman feels there, a pain, a loneliness. But if you're just playing by the rules and the Christian rules of the Bible, there is a very limited pool of guys for women to choose from, to marry, and create a family with. It isn't uncommon to visit a kingdom hall and see several single women gathered together week in and week out, due to a complete lack of a social life. In many cases, and I've seen this, you'll go to a congregation and you'll find older women who have either lost their husbands or can't meet another eligible man in the congregation to marry. I mean, these guys in New York go so far as to say you shouldn't be even involved with a man unless he's an elder or ministerial servant, narrowing it down even further to almost nobody to choose from. You might have eight to ten, in a kingdom hall. What are these women supposed to do? You can't date outside Jehovah's Witnesses. That's completely unacceptable. Completely unacceptable from this cult, this religion. It, it is literally rumored among Jehovah's Witnesses, and this is when I was an elder, that women outnumber men two to one, Leaving an extremely limited pool of prospective suitors for any woman to choose from in a kingdom hall. And that by the way, that doesn't mean the guys that are available are goods are good guys. They may be single for years either for other reasons. We're guys. It you can see how if you're strictly looking at it as a numbers game, a woman growing up a Jehovah's Witness or being baptized into Jehovah's Witnesses limits her entire life. She may never have a family. She may never meet a nice man. And you're going, what? And you think, how does this happen? Why are they allowing all this? Why are they allowing this? They are commanded to live this lifestyle. The watchtower is strict in its belief that Jehovah's Witnesses should only date and marry other Jehovah's Witnesses. The Watchtower of July 1st, 2004, page 30, says this, Would it be wise then for a dedicated Christian to pursue courtship and marriage with someone who has been accepted as an unbaptized publisher since, strictly speaking, Paul's counsel recorded at 2 Corinthians 6.14 could not apply in that case? No, that is not wise. Why not? because of the direct counsel Paul gave regarding Christian widows. Paul wrote, She is free to be married to whom she wants only in the Lord. In their belief system, only in Jehovah's Witnesses. In harmony with that counsel, dedicated Christians, read, Women are urged to seek marriage mates only among those who are in the Lord. Read Jehovah's Witnesses, end quote. That same article goes on to explain what Paul meant by only in the Lord. Of course, he meant only one of Jehovah's Witnesses. The result has been devastation. Don't fool yourselves. There have been thousands of beautiful women who either stay single their whole life so they can slave for the Watchtower Society. Or they marry the first eligible guy that comes along within the congregation. I've seen this. It leads to pain sorrow depression because they they don't necessarily love him he's just the only guy available that's all they got they got this limited pool to choose from i'm not minimizing this this is an issue so unless they decide to leave jehovah's witnesses many sisters or women are doomed to a life of being single many people or women in this case choose to be single not having many options in whatever area they may live in. Or in many cases, what you'll see is this beautiful women become involved with an, quote, unbeliever and being labeled weak. And in many cases, because men who may not follow Christian guidelines, they're expecting things in a relationship. You know what I mean. We're all grown up people here, sex. And so the sister or the woman finds herself in a situation. And by the way, she wants it too. (laughs) It's called natural way we as people live. (laughs) We like each other. I like you. Let's do things. (laughs) But that's really seriously some of their only options if you're a female. And I've seen this by the literally dozens of women I know. I, I, Almost every congregation I visited to give a public talk, you'd look into the back of the hall and there in, in the last aisle are three to four. And it's amazing to see their age ranges. Maybe an older sister with a young, beautiful sister with a sister in her twenties or thirties, and then maybe a young one at 18. They all sit together, gathered, gaining strength from one another, bonding together, uh, not, maybe not interested in marriage. It's certainly not required, or they are, but they can't meet a nice man. They certainly can't meet a nice woman. That leads to disfellowshipping and shunning. So their literally limited. Has to be a man, has to be a good man, has to be a Jehovah's witness man. And it just narrows the field down to nothing. And so you'll see these incredible people, incredible women among Jehovah's witnesses who never get to experience the love and joy of being with someone that cares about them. It's horrific. Angers me. And and yeah, you're right. By by this point in this episode, I'm just drained just thinking about this stuff. I don't think there's a group among Jehovah's Witnesses who have a more difficult life than women. And, And it's really for that reason that you'll find that a vast majority of the females among Jehovah's Witnesses, and I'm not even being hyperbolic here or exaggerating, the vast majority really suffer from depression, even if it's low grade. There was a study in 1977, Montag did a study that estimated that the mental illness rate of Jehovah's Witnesses is approximately 10 to 16 times higher than the rate for the general non-witness population. Another, Dr. Spencer in 75, found that Jehovah's Witnesses experienced a rate of diagnosable mental problems at a rate of 1.54 times the general population and found diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia to be 3.68 times more common in the membership than usually found. The source for that, if you'd like to read it for yourself, is the Social Compass Study, Havor Montag. We've already stated that the vast majority of Jehovah's Witnesses are women. So with those kind of depression rates, you can see just how awful this lifestyle can be for a woman who decides to be a Jehovah's Witness. All of this just seems to almost pale in comparison, or at least, I guess in the very least, get started at a young age, depending on your exposure to Jehovah's Witnesses. From the get-go, and it's done subtly. Every week, at least in my time as a Jehovah's Witness, you're at the Kingdom Hall two, three times a week. Then there's service on the other day. Then on the nights you have free, you should be studying. And every one of those messages are just wrought with messages of unworthiness and the push for more. It's not difficult to see how a woman's self-esteem takes a hit. I was so shocked at how many in the congregation were taking antidepressants, especially within the congregation I personally served as an elder for many years. I can't give you figures or statistics. I can tell you from personal experience that the vast majority of those who were suffering from depression were women in the congregation I was in. I received the same feedback from many other elders over the years, but perhaps the most shocking revelation for me personally was that many of the women who suffered from depression and that would often, and I'm not kidding, often slide into alcoholism, were the elders' wives or their daughters. And in my time as an elder, I dealt primarily with helping many of my fellow elders' teenage daughters, who I love immensely. On more than one occasion, this guy got called out in the middle of the night to comfort someone having suicidal thoughts. After several years of experience, it became evident to me that life inside an elder's family was brutal, and that included mine. I, too, am a father of one son. But the neglect and the pressure on wives, and and I can say that despite my own shortcomings, I was divorced as a Jehovah's Witness. I've gone into that in past, past episodes and happy to do it again nothing to hide. Much of what led to that divorce was my endless array of responsibilities to the congregation. I was never home. And the woman I was married to, despite much more significant issues with her, I I played a role. I played a role in that. Elders' wives lead a brutal life. Brutal. So The lifestyle of a Jehovah's Witness female, you you begin to get kind of a snapshot, a picture. It's just wrought with danger and depression. So without beating that up again, I want to wrap it back around to the irony here. That these guys in upstate New York, the faithful, and discreet, slave, the governing body say they're God's channel. And this is the message God wants women to have. And yet you can't find that. It's in sharp contrast with God's view of women in the Bible. Now, again, there's some shaky stuff in the Bible. It's a subject for a whole other podcast episode. So I'm trying to stay away from that here. This is just kind of raw, organic, me spitting it. Uh, But throughout the Mosaic Law, you see where women were cared for and taken into account in future dealings, often given front and center roles, stories in biblical narratives. I mean, Proverbs chapter 31 is a chapter completely devoted to the amazing character of a woman and what she means to this universe, particularly to any man who's blessed to be with a great woman, uh, and, and for women too. Yeah, because I'm not longer a Jehovah's Witness, so the wonderful female partners of other females that are just amazing people. But when you look at the Bible, you just don't see the messaging. And, and I gave, reeled off like three gut punch examples of things that have always bothered me about how women are treated as Jehovah's Witnesses. But but if you look at Jesus, you're just taking him as a narrative, his story. Jesus treated women with great respect and reverence. As I mentioned, the first person he ever revealed his identity to as the Messiah was a Samaritan woman at the well. She not only was an apostate, oh boy, he was talking to her, (laughs) Jewish men, whether they were Jews or Samaritans, did not hold women in high regard. But here was Jesus sitting there having a conversation with her. Jesus also showed deep devotion to his mother. Even as he's hanging on the stake, as the narrative goes, he makes sure that his apostles know that they are to take care of his mother. And I got to tell you, one of my favorite accounts in the Bible, and I leveraged it all the time in shepherding calls, in my public talks. And Mark chapter five, we see one of my, what I think is just one of the most powerful accounts in the Bible. And that is where Jesus handles the woman who is suffering from a flow of blood. And when you look at that example and how he cares for her and if. Do you know how many laws she broke according to the Mosaic law? She should have been killed. She was endangering and making everyone around her unclean by Jewish tradition because she was bleeding. She was having menstruation, something that apparently God, uh, you know, allowed in the child childbearing process for female biology. But nonetheless, Jesus showed incredible compassion and kindness to her, something you won't see elders do. When a woman comes to them with, I'm depressed for the 50th time, or I'm lonely, I want to meet someone and start a family, or look, I think I might be gay, or look, I was touched inappropriately by someone in this congregation. Elders don't treat women with the same compassion Jesus did. Now, again, I'm not making blanket examples. There's good guys out there. There's good men who became elders. Most of them leave. But overall, you'll see endless examples of how they just minimize whatever a female may be going through, and yet Jesus didn't do that. If you look at just those three or four examples I just married or mentioned, excuse me, Mary, the woman with the flow of blood, the Samaritan woman at the well. I could go into Mary Magdalene. I could go into how Jesus treated. He first appeared to women when he was resurrected, not the apostles, women. If you compare that with the remarks, the printed words, or all of the direction from the Watchtower Society, its presidents, and its its governing body, you see that their view of women is downright criminal. It's impossible to label every teaching or person among Jehovah's Witnesses demeaning to women. It's clear that much of what a woman is exposed to at her local kingdom hall, however, is harmful even if it's subtle, even if it's slow drip torture. No, you can't teach, but here's a uh, toilet plunger if you wouldn't mind going in the women's room at the kingdom hall and cleaning it or unclogging it. That would be cool. That's a privilege, sister. You're privileged. (laughs) This is what a sister or a woman is reduced to among Jehovah's Witnesses. And I'm sorry, I feel strongly about it. I, I expect to get lots of comments on this. I'm sure there will be those that disagree. But I witnessed it my entire life. I witnessed it in my own family. None of it even remotely matches up with the way Jesus treated women. Jehovah's Witnesses see them as labor. They see them as preachers. They can now roll out a cart and stand there. They want them to be good mothers. They want them, and I'm this is quoting them, to shut up and know their place. These are all modern-day quotes from those guys in New York. These aren't reaching back old light. This is new stuff. But none of it matches what you easily see in the Bible's version of Jesus, where he consistently used the word daughter when speaking to women. Is there anything more precious on this planet than a beautiful baby girl? They're the sweetest, cutest things you'll ever see. And Jesus said, daughter, when he spoke to women. The unconditional love of a parent None of that, none of that matches the way Jehovah's Witnesses treat women. And it certainly doesn't match that great guy who really got the ball rolling for this religion, Watchtower President Joe Rutherford, who went on to say, as noted, that women are nothing more than a hank of hair and a bag of bones. (laughs) More of a diatribe this week, folks. Uh, the the state of the world the last few years, even in recent times, recent weeks, and my own affinity for the female aura and power, I, I think it was time this was weighing on my mind to just get a few of those things off my chest. I could tell you as a former elder, I could tell hair-raising stories in judicial meetings. Uh, I, I am very, very, as I said, will be raw, organic, blunt. And candid, I I can think of one judicial meeting I was a part of that just breaks my heart. Uh, Not because she wasn't necessarily a great woman. She really wasn't. She she had character issues. But the fact that we wouldn't do anything to her husband, who was equally not a good person, really, really bad, bad situation. Uh, My role in that as the chair of the judicial committee and not doing something about his conduct uh, haunts me to this day because I couldn't according to our own rules. But I can tell you, I'll get into that in the future. I'm going to show those stories. I really am. I just want to say that this is one of those subjects for me that was instrumental throughout the years in my personal questioning of an organization that I was fully supportive of. It continues to be one of the headline reasons I literally am disgusted with that faith cult, religion, whatever word you want to put to it. And I can tell you that you'll probably see it interwoven through some of my episodes whether I'm telling a story or I'm pointing to things as something that truly disturbs me about Jehovah's Witnesses. So I want to thank you guys again for joining, listening in, just even taking the time to listen to the Surviving Paradise where we find a way to navigate that spiritual paradise of Jehovah's Witnesses. I'd love to hear from you, thoughts, comments, all the above, agree, disagree. It's all about being respectful. We don't have to all be on the same page. Love to hear from you. You can hear us on all the major podcasts, that's a new one, podcast networks, as well as YouTube. I'd love to hear from you. I want to thank all the wonderful, encouraging people who've sent me notes. This is nothing more than a passion project, as I want to save just one person from the rabbit hole that is Jehovah's Witnesses. But thank you again for listening this week. I hope everyone is doing well out there. I'm always up to suggestions and questions regarding surviving this spiritual paradise. So shoot me a note and a DM. Be well this week. I hope to see you all again next week. And thanks again for joining me on this week's episode. And for the ladies out there, God one big gigantic virtual hug (laughs) for even listening to this because it hurt me to do this one, not going to lie. But thank you again as we close out this week's walk through the park on Surviving Paradise.